Hey everybody, I want to talk about a product and platform that I absolutely love and our latest sponsor, Interseller, the prospecting and outreach platform of choice for recruiters and sellers. Whether you're doubling down on business development or recruiting talent, Interseller does all the heavy lifting of finding contact data, automating the email and follow-up process, and syncs all that rich data into 20-plus CRM and ATS platforms. Reach out now and get going on a two-week free trial and let them know you heard about it from Adam on the podcast today. Check out the link on the website. Appreciate it. Welcome to the podcast, where we introduce you to incredible humans who share their journeys with the mission to inspire you to harness your own inner tenacity to drive your life and career forward. And now, your host, Adam Posner. Hey, everybody, welcome back to the podcast where I bring you the best and brightest from the world of business, marketing, and personal growth to help you harness your inner tenacity and drive your career forward. My guest today, Jerome Turnick, has a recognized leader in the recruiting tech industry. He has had three successful exits over 30 plus years of building global businesses, including the award winning software Smart Recruiter. So, anybody who has not used it or is in TA and you don't know about it, I'd, 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 be, I'd be shocked, honestly. Uh, one of the best ones out there. Uh, and he's an entrepreneur at heart in recruiting and a soul in technology. And Jerome is on a mission to connect people to jobs at scale. And he argues that the ability to hire exceptional talent is a true sustainable differentiator for any business to compete, especially when nearly 80% of CEOs see hiring for key skills as their major threat. We're going to dig into it because the pandemic is really affecting uh, everything, specifically hiring in TA these days. And he's also the author of the best-selling Hiring Success which he packed decades of experience into working with high growth and Fortune 500 companies into actionable insights for CEOs to find the best talents. We're going to talk about the book and all that. He is currently the, well, he is the founder of Smart Recruiters, and he's currently the CEO. So we'll get into that in a little bit and talk what it's about to be a leader, especially in the world of talent acquisition. Um, and he's also into connecting people, you know, in jobs. And he started the reverse recruitment movement, which we'll talk about. And something that I did not mention to him, but he and I both volunteer with Defy Ventures uh, with entrepreneurs and training. I've been doing that for a couple of years on the mm -hmm. East Coast here with Marcus Glover and the Defy New York Tri-State team. And we'll talk about that experience as well. Something very near and dear to me. And I see him smiling over there. So I'm really excited to talk about Defy. Bye. Enough talking. Let's get this party started. Jerome, welcome to the podcast, my man. Yeah, thank you for having me, Adam. Looking forward to it. Fantastic. So before we even get started, I mean, you've been in this industry a very long time. Um, uh, born in the Czech Republic, is that correct? Born in France, actually. I'm sorry, um, France. Yeah, born in France. Moved to Czech for my first, uh, first company, first venture, uh, which happened to be a recruitment agency. You know, I... I don't know. I, I wanted to create a company and I and I went to Prague. This was after the Berlin Wall fell. So this kind of a, an entire economy to rebuild. And I was asking people, what you know, what what can you do? And they're like, yeah, you can do anything you want here, but gee, it's hard to find good people. And I was like, oh, okay, maybe I should start a recruitment agency. And that's um, that's how I fell into recruiting by accident. Good. That's crazy. And, and I mean, we're talking 30 years ago. I mean, the technology was, I mean, let's, let's, what I hear from the, from the old vets in recruiting, right? Rolodexes, fax machines, actually having to pick up the phone and call people. Take us back. I mean, especially in, in Europe 30 years ago, what was recruitment like? You know, it's really funny you'd ask, you'd ask that because I actually started a recruitment agency on a complete misunderstanding uh, after meeting a guy in a nightclub. 
uh, and a French guy, and it's like, oh, what do you do here? And it's like, oh yeah, I did this survey, or I, I work for this nonprofit, and we we finance education for Czech people in France. I'm like, oh, that's cute. How do you find them? And he goes, well, we did this survey. And we ask everybody, what have you done in your life? What do you want to do next? And what kind of education and skills and everything? And then we finance their studies. I'm like, oh, that's interesting. And then I go, and these surveys were, were probably, I said, oh, don't tell me. I have stacks, piles of papers in my office, right? And it turned out the guy had like 20,000 resume of French-speaking Czech people. And so I said, you know, I'm starting a recruitment agency here. Maybe I could take this paper away from you because, uh, uh, you know, and he, he actually said, yeah, I would happily do that. But you need to give me something in exchange. I'm a nonprofit. So I ended up trading my old Mac book uh, from university in exchange for 20,000 paper resumes of French speaking wow. Czech people. And that's how I started my agency. That's incredible. So you literally you had boxes of physical boxes. printed uh-huh. out resumes. And back then, people were doing it on typewriters. I mean, not everyone had printers and technology. Back oh, then. those were handwritten. Those were Hand- like actual forms, handwritten resumes. Oh and I spent the next two weeks with my business partner reading through them. And we would just codify them, like put some stickers. And then we had a box. So we had a box for accountants. We had a box for, you know, for engineers. And yeah, that was funny. But it worked and, you, and we got started. Yeah, absolutely. And how, I mean, this this guy this has, has me thinking a little bit. I mean, how far has the actual structure of the traditional resume changed in 30 years really not too much right from a structural no. standpoint no and it's a i think it's about two uh, if you ask me right because i mean we've basically turned uh, a paper resume into an online resume uh, which is what led to the creation of the applicant tracking system industry right it's like oh let's track those applicants in the database which makes no sense in terms of hiring great people but the 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 overall resume hasn't changed and it, it just doesn't work. Like why, simply, no. why would you provide to me a resume that's not verified? No. Why would you actually uh, uh, me check my background check 10 times if I apply to 10 companies? Exactly. Why would I have to tell you that I'm great in English, whereas you could actually, I could have a score on English. So I think we're going to get to a lot more uh, uh, useful profiles, useful data, and that will contribute to make recruiting more free. LinkedIn started there, but your LinkedIn resume is a bit of a marketing profile. It's not a Correct. resume. It's, it's not, you know, it's not necessarily you're, you're exactly yourself. who you are. Exactly. exactly. It's a and marketing it's, profile. Right? It's also self-selecting. You brought up something really interesting too. It's that verification point on any any of those elements on your resume, right? Mm-hmm. How are we ensuring that these are, these are fact-checked? And it's going to be fascinating to see the evolution of what the resume looks like and the actual talent acquisition or talent access, as I call it, process. And we'll certainly dig into that in a little bit because I love your perspective. I love the fact that you've been doing this for so long that you've been able to see the the journey between you know the technology and the human side of it coming together, the convergence of that. But I want to talk about the book, you know, Hiring mm-hmm. Success. And a question that I love to start off with asking any author, who should pick up the book and read it and why? CEOs. Um, CEOs uh, should pick up the book and read it, and they should read read it because um, who you hire defines everything. Um, you know, you, you you ask Steve Jobs, and I'll say the most important part of my job as a CEO is to hire amazing people and then get out of the way. I think CEOs know that they know that who you hire defines everything, but they do not know how. 
to hire amazing talent at scale. And they, they end up giving talent acquisition under HR in and turning it into a back office function. Correct. Whose primary metrics are time to fill and cost per hire. Cheaper. That's... What has that got to do with your initial ambition of hiring amazing talent, right? And so here, I think it is very clear that the company with the best people wins. And Into Lost recruiting. You. Jerome, you with me? Sorry, we had a little bit of a technical glitch. Here. We'll get back to that in a second there. Now, you mentioned something interesting. You know, HR and talent has always kind of been a back office operation. Do you think that's because it's not a profit center for a company? And with that being said, you know, is that really a mindset shift where the true the companies that truly succeed are the ones that really understand, believe, practice, and preach that their people are their product and the lifeblood of their company. Yeah, I think the uh, the fact that recruiting is measured as a cost center um, is um, is a is a big flaw uh, of many organizations. Right? No talent acquisition leader has ever been to a management meeting saying, right. "Next year, I think we should double our cost per hire." But as a CEO, I would say, yeah, well, why not? What's, what's, in it, what's in it for me? Am I going to get a higher velocity? So if I get my people on time, hire, hiring velocity and business velocity are very closely aligned, right? Because if I have 60% of my hires on time, so if my hiring velocity is 60%, I have 60% of my hires on time. As a CEO, what that means, it means that 60% of my decisions are going to be implemented. The rest will be ignored because we don't have the people in time. Right? So business velocity and hiring velocity are very closely linked. I understand that as a CEO. And then I understand quality of hire. Like I understand that the best developers actually perform three times better than an average one. So can you get more, more of the best, right? And I think the other factor too is, is, is internal um, is attrition. And we think about that too, and, it, and, and speed, it's a delicate metric with speed to hire, but the longer a position is open within a company, that means somebody else internally is working twice as hard to pick up the slack there. So how do you find that balance with the quality hire and time to fill? And I think that's always been a challenge on the recruitment side. And how does technology play into that, which I, I certainly want to talk about, but we diverge from the book a little bit. You know, What is that key concept in the book? What is that key thought that you want that CEO, that decision maker, and that leader to walk away with and put into practice, into action? Uh, recruiting is a, is a sales and marketing process and um, you get you get what you invest like you get back what you invest you can hire hundreds of people for free in one day they're just not going to be very good or you could actually spend a whole year trying to find this hidden gem right so it's a balance and it's a sales and marketing process and you need to organize it structure it as a as a team you need to structure it as a sales and marketing team and as a sales and marketing process, you need to give it the, the right technology, not some tracking system, a proper talent acquisition suite that actually allows you to market, to engage, to collaborate. Uh, and you need to measure it as a sales and marketing uh, function. And you measure it in sales, in hiring velocity and in net hiring score, which is the quality element, Correct. control it with a budget. So if it, that is the main message. You want to hire amazing talent? Re honestly, it's not difficult. It is not difficult to hire amazing talent, regardless of your industry. Uh, but if you if you do not invest in recruiting, for sure you're going to get you know whoever didn't have a choice. And like you're always hiring the second best, right? You're hiring the the people that 
Goldman Sachs didn't fall. And now you're, you know, you're not competing anymore. Exactly. Except in today's market right now, unfortunately, with so many amazing A-list talent on the market due to the pandemic, uh, great folks being furloughed and let go. I mean, there's so much A-list talent on the market that it's making it really hard for anybody who may not be amazing at their job. You know, if we rewind to the beginning of 2020, it was a completely different job market. And it's just making it that much more difficult. So two quick questions I want to ask here in regards to technology. Let's debunk the myth. You know, we look around LinkedIn all the time. Everyone thinks that, well, not everyone. There's a lot of folks out there that are saying applicant tracking systems are robots, right? That they're automatically filtering resumes. And I say, as somebody who is on the front line reviewing resumes every day, the applicant tracking system is a database, right? It is, it is, it is a piece of technology that sits between the job applicant, the candidate, and the company. We need a way as recruiters to be able to sift through it, to organize. And you know what? Yes, sometimes I am going to search for a keyword, but there isn't a robot there. There isn't something behind there that's like eliminating resumes automatically. How do you de debunk this myth? When you hear and see, you know, the ATS being robots, what do, what do you have to say? I have to say, I wish. Yeah. Um, I wish that uh, um, ATSs um, or screening was done properly by machines um, because machines uh, don't have bias. Um, recruiters have bias. Uh, and the algorithm doesn't have bias, right? Last time I checked, uh, Adam uh, and Mohammed applying to the same job with the same resume, Adam gets four times more callbacks than Mohammed, right? Yeah. Do you think a machine would know that? No, right? Um, the recruiters have their own bias. They right. know how many universities that are great in engineering, uh, mechanical engineering, do you know five? How many are there in the world? 500, right? Exactly. The machine knows that. And she knows, machine knows that if you're graduated from this um, in mechanical engineering university uh, in Lagos, Nigeria, that you actually have picked up those skills and you are actually a really good engineers and you are likely, right? So I actually think that through data, we can help surface talent in a uh, far more inclusive and diverse way than just screening for the same as we have exactly. before, right? And, and, and so I'm, I'm hoping for it to happen more. I, I completely agree with you too. And that leads to the conversation of removing bias from recruiting. And there's been a lot of conversations about blind hiring, removing the name, removing the sex, gender, location, and just looking at people's experience and even parts of that could even be, you know, uh, you know, hidden or blacked out as well. So you're looking at, at different other attributes and skills. And it's fascinating because I think we all have unconscious bias one way or another. I mean, we're, we're human, the way we were brought up, the way we were raised, where we were born in one extreme or another. And if you, and if you say that you're not biased at all, I don't, I don't think that's true. I think some degree or another, and that, as you mentioned, you know, that, that translates directly into the recruiting process and it, it affects it. It completely does. And bias is not bad. Bias is good. Bias is it human. It protects us. It protects us. It's like, how, how are we going to get along? Are we going to be friends? Can I trust you? Can I Decision not trust making. you? Right. So it's, it, it is bias is not bad. It's just bias applied to recruiting. Right. And here recruiting is full of human bias. And there's only two things you can do to change that. One, you can actually uh, ask a machine uh, to review resumes for you or anonymize them so that you cannot exercise any bias. Right. Fine. Second, you can actually uh, uh, get cross perspective of bias. So instead of one person making the decision, bring a hiring team, a diverse hiring team, 
and then have them fill in a proper interview feedback scorecard that's based on must achieve, right. not must have. We can talk about this more, but so you remove bias by taking on different perspectives. So that's the only two things. Otherwise, you know, Adam, you told me you 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 uh, um, you volunteer with DeFi. I like you, right? Plus, we are both white, easy peasy, right? And we both speak English. Uh, fine, like good, right? We're obviously gonna have a better time having a beer than if you were some random guy that I have nothing in common with. At least we could talk about venturing together, right? right. So the bias is normal, right? The bias is normal. Uh, it's human, and um, in order to uh, let, not let it come into your hiring decision, make a hiring team. Uh, it's it's the best way. No, I, I certainly agree. Where did the idea for smart recruiters come from? What was that first conversation? Who was it with? When did you get to that point where you're like, you know what, we could do this better. We could create something that's going to be an improvement what's currently out there in the industry. Um, it came from uh, um, it came from ten years of building one of the first applicant tracking systems. Um, so I, you know, I, I was in a recruiting uh, recruiting uh, in uh, in the nineties. Then when the internet came, I was like, oh, okay, we're gonna you know we're gonna do a software right because people will apply and then we will track them right. And that's what we did. Like the first generation of applicant tracking system, I, I founded a company called Mr. Ted, which then went, became Lumes, now Cornerstone, now, or now Saba, now Cornerstone, whatever. You can still buy the product uh, on the market if you want to. But the, the problem we solved was a different problem. We solved a uh, automating the file cabinet problem, right? You had paper resume, they were becoming it was digital. Or, it was organizing. Yeah, exactly. You could them. track them, right? And automate, right? But it never said hire amazing talent system, right? It says applicant tracking system, right? And so when I when I, I did that for 10 years, um, and in 2010, I was like, no, this doesn't work. Uh, it, and, I, and I literally took a blank sheet of paper and said, in an ideal world, what would a technology do to help companies hire amazing talent at scale? And we landed on three fundamentals, three core principles, which is one, it should help me attract candidates and engage them. So this is a marketing element, something right. that, you know, the ATS like Teleo doesn't help you find candidates. Actually, probably the opposite, right? Two, uh, managers should use it with a smile on their face. Like the managers are the one hiring, right? The recruiters are supporting. So the collaboration uh, and hiring manager engagement uh, was a second pillar. And third, uh, recruiter and the recruiter productivity and giving recruiters all of their data, all their processes, all their suppliers in one platform. And those are the three pillars that allowed us to build smart recruiters, candidate experience, manager engagement, and recruiter productivity. I love it. And I can speak firsthand because I've used um, probably four or five of the major platforms out there at various points in my career. And a lot of them, I mean, let's call it what it is. A lot of them are much of the same, but it's a lot of the nuances of each. It's the UI, the UX, it's the workflow. And I think what a lot of people don't understand about the ATS, and, I, and this is actually a good idea. I think one day I'm going to I'm gonna do a live share of what the ATS looks like so people could see that it really is a workflow. We need it as recruiters. The average recruiter probably, and I'm making this stat up and you probably know it better than me, an average in-house recruiter can manage anywhere from five to 20 recs on their plate. How is somebody, a human being, supposed to manage different jobs, different candidates at different stages in the process, inbound, outbound? You need a system and you need a process. And I think it's really important that we bring this to light and educate people on what an applicant tracking system is. So what makes smart recruiters better than any of the other ones out there, Jerome? Um, people love using it. 
uh, we've really focused heavily on on the end user. So the candidate experience, right? Making sure that you optimize um, that conversion, that candidates are uh, uh, have a good experience. We innovated quite a bit, apply in one click. Uh, we make sure that when something happens, we inform the candidates. So companies were like, whoa, whoa what do you mean you inform the candidate? It's like, yeah, yeah, we inform the candidate that you've, you've actually reviewed their resume. Oh, I'm sure not sure I want that, right? But we actually forced it. And of course, candidates on their side, oh, finally someone saw my resume, right? Because that's the one thing they wanted. Right? So candidate experience was a big part of it. Manager, uh, the collaboration with managers. I mean, managers don't want to be in a workflow. They never. And, and you want to make manager, it easy as possible for them, the least, because they have other things on their plate too. I mean, they have, they have hiring is just another another activity for them to add on to their day-to-day -day task. It's it's a difficult activity. And frankly, it's the most important activity because who you hire as a manager, it's, it's who you are, right? It's who you are. And it defines everything. It defines whether you're going to get promoted at the end of the year or you're going to miss your target. 100%. It actually defines, are you actually staying longer hours in the store because the person you hired last time didn't work out or was suddenly this and that. And suddenly instead of having dinner with your family, you're actually working longer hours, right? It defines everything. So for managers, recruiting is really really important and they never had a system. So we really uh, uh, worked hard on this manager collaboration and making it fluid for them and they love using it. And then last is recruiters. I mean, being a recruiter today is hard, right? You get a lot of data, you are bombarded by Rex, like you say, Correct. and 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 you, you got into recruiting because you like people, you like to work with people, you want people to be happy, you want to match people to jobs and you just don't have the right tech stack. So we optimize and help optimize the work of recruiters so they can be real talent advisors and not, you know, reviewers of resumes and yeah. feedbackers. You, uh, you want to be, be in integrated into the process and you hit on, on two key things here. First, the first point I want to make is about, you know, in my, in my opinion, uh, and I hope that you agree, the companies that are really truly successful, are the ones that prioritize recruiting and talent acquisition, talent access, right? Your people are the lifeblood of your company. And, you know, you have to welcome new people in with open arms. You have to onboard them properly. You have to make them feel welcome for that first interaction they have from applying until the day that they start. And that's why it's so critical to have a great ATS system so you could actually have efficiencies in the process. And something else that you hit on, which is absolutely fantastic, is that communication loop. And I always say to be a good recruiter, the number one thing is managing expectations. You're managing mm -hmm. expectations of the candidates and you're managing expectations of the internal teams or the clients if you're an external recruiter, right? If you're an agency recruiter. Now think about that candidate experience. Quick email, thank you for applying. Somebody's reviewing your resume. Thank you, somebody reviewed your resume, they'll get back to you. And even when, hey, the job is filled. So the job is filled and unfortunately we're closing the rollout. Simple things like that, automating that to make it easier and close the loop with candidates. They seem basic. I mean, I don't understand why companies would be opposed to this. I mean, what's yeah. why? Why the hell would a company not want to do this? You know, I, I think it's um, it goes back to uh, uh, being underfunded in uh, uh, in many many ways. Um, uh, talent acquisition team in many organizations are just chasing. Uh, resumes and regs every day, right? Mm. And then just trying to get it through. Uh, and uh, they do, they don't really have the time um, to look back. Now, interestingly, with the current uh, pandemic and economic situation, many TA teams actually now have some time, right? When reg volumes are low, uh, now is a good time to upgrade your applicant tracking Of course, invest in the process, reevaluate. Yeah. 
And it's like, you know, it's like changing the engine of a car. It's a lot easier to do it if the car is parked, right? So um, yeah, I think there's an opportunity here for people to, uh, and we've seen, we've actually had smart scooters. So we replace outdated ATS into good ones, right? Into a good good platform, obviously. Uh, but we've actually just had the best first half, um, uh, like we're 100% above next last year wow. in uh, new sales for the first half. And that's because TA leaders are like, okay, now I have like I have we a have window. A pause. Of we can breathe, months, right? Yeah, yeah we exactly. can get some yeah, air. Get it done before it restarts, um, and so it's uh, it's a good time. Right, and I'm sure one of the biggest uh, counters, you know, with when when you're when you're you know going into a company is, hey, we don't have time. When are we going to integrate? How are we going to transfer all, all of that over? But let's let's not talk about that because that's boring to most people. Aside from most, let's talk about it's the- easy. Yeah, it's a, it's a simple, you know, this, then, and that. You push a button, pull a lever, wham, bam, thank you, ma'am, you're done there. But let's talk about the current pandemic, right? Um, and I'd love to get, because your ears are to the ground, you know, companies have had to move the entire process overnight, the interview process, the hiring process, the onboarding process, remote overnight. And there's some companies that have been remote for a long time, and it's been second nature to them. But a lot of companies really rely on that face-to-face. Tell us what you're hearing and seeing as far as, you know, companies uh, reintegrating into this remote process. I think it's actually uh, um, forcing organizations to become uh, far more professional. Because if you don't have a good process um, or a good collaboration in your hiring process, and you just cannot hire uh, remotely, it just doesn't work, right? You're emailing resumes here and there. You you you're, you can't rely on your uh, on your interviews. You can't rely on like water cooler conversation uh, uh, or you chasing a manager. How did you like this candidate? I don't know. I might let you know tomorrow if I have time, right? If I can find and, you in the office. Uh, yeah. So it it doesn't work. But the organization that actually have a proper process with a, the uh, appropriate collaboration um, and uh, a, a professional selection uh, process uh, actually don't see a difference, right? I mean, recently uh, uh, someone I was talking about the fact that we just hired a new head of product for smart recruiters, right? Probably the most important job in the company in fact, right? Because that person basically defines our product. And um, and someone said, oh, you just hired. So how did you how did you run the process? Have you have you act, did you actually meet the person? And I and I was like, oh, yeah, you're right. Actually, no, we, no, I never met her. And I, I just in that moment, it's it felt so natural that actually we just hired the most important executive in our company. And I had not met her. But we had enough people talking on video and mm-hmm. with a proper process that I totally trust the remote process. It didn't even cross my mind that maybe I should have tried to get her to fly over to San Francisco for at least a coffee or something, right? Um, so mm. that's fascinating too. And I've had this conversation with leaders too that have that one leader had had to had to replace half of his executive team over the last six months. And I said the same exact question, like. How do you hire some of the most important folks in your organization without breaking bread, having a drink, having a cup of coffee, being able to feel that energy and get their sense to shake his or her hand and and see if you have that human connection? And they said, you know what? It took a couple of extra calls, a couple extra Zoom calls, but we were able to do it. And you could still trust your gut. So it's kind of readjusting um, you know, your senses on it. So I want to talk about the reverse recruiting movement. And this is the first mm-hmm. time I've heard it. So if you could kindly enlighten us, sir, with a definition and example. Yeah, so the reverse recruiting movement is a, is an encouragement for recruiters um, to actually uh, uh, 
reverse uh, their work and uh, from time to time work for candidates and not for companies. And we've organized reverse recruiting events um, around the Hiring Success Conference, which is our annual industry conference, right? Um, and it's really beautiful to see what happens when you take your recruiter's hat and you say, okay, now I don't work for Visa or Twitter or LinkedIn. Now I work for you, Adam. I work for you. How can I help you, right? And uh, we did it, the last time we did it was in February, just before the pandemic uh, hit and things shut down. We had uh, over a thousand TA leaders at the conference here in San Francisco. And uh, the mayor London Breed, uh, the mayor of San Francisco came to give a speech about diversity, inclusion, and so on. And, and at the end, it was their final session. And I, I, I was on stage and I said, you know, guys, it's all great to hear and listen about DNI and all these things, blah, blah, blah. but there's nothing better than actually experiencing it. So for this last session, um, we have brought uh, 500 candidates that are right there waiting for you outside. We're going to open the door, we're going to let them in, and we're going to pair you. And those people are people that uh, your processes are designed to reject. They are too old, they are refugees, they have done, uh, uh, they have done jail, or they've done time. Uh, they're, you know, however they're, they're um, their um, disabilities might be or their problem mm -hmm. might be. These are people that your processor designed to it. And suddenly we saw, like you had the, the head of TA at Twitter uh, that was paired with someone and, and they just completely changed their mind, right? And we've had so many of those people actually find a job, of course, uh, thanks to that. Right? And so I would say as a recruiter, if you, uh, if you have some time, which you do, uh, grab one person that is struggling to find a job and just mentor them, help them. How can I help you? Just I love review it. their resume, make some introductions. You can be your own reverse recruiter tomorrow. One, just help one person. You know, I'm gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna take you up on that. I'm gonna, I'm gonna make a post later today. I'm, I'm wanna, I mean, listen, I, I've helped a couple of people, and it's, it's pro bono, and it's just sharing your knowledge and your expertise. And honestly, like we're all busy. We all have things going on in our lives, you know, with work, with home, with families, with other things. But if you're in the talent access industry and you could find 15 minutes, 20 minutes, once or twice a week to help one person, especially now, you could, you could, you could, and it sounds so cliche and I'm not sounding it sound cheesy, Jerome, but it's really, you could literally help one person and you could change someone's life. And that's the power that we have in our industry, right? We get mm -hmm. shit on a lot. The recruitment industry, we get we get torn up the reputation. I mean, and this is a great effort and I, and I applaud that. Jerome, was, was this influenced at all by your work with Defy? This kind of mindset? Yeah. So it, uh, I started reverse recruiting before. Um, so I actually started smart recruiters on a mission to eradicate unemployment. Uh, that, that, well, that's kind of the starting point of smart recruiters. And I was fundraising in Silicon Valley saying, I want to eradicate unemployment, give me some money. Right. And, uh, um, and that morphed into like, how can we help? And we've been over the years, very involved in mentoring under, underrepresented groups, right. um, uh, which of course includes formerly incarcerated individuals. And in that, uh, respect my uh, my work with uh, with Defy and um, so I, I, I volunteer at the Pelican Bay uh, um, uh, prison um, that's uh, up, up north here from San Francisco which is uh, a maximum security prison where most of the core curriculum of Defy has been uh, has been written and tested out 
Um, and this working with the, the men that are there as as uh, as op- I mean, it's a transformational experience uh, for those parties, as you very well know if you volunteer up there. Yeah, and for those who, for those who don't know, uh, Jerome and I volunteer for an organization called Defy Ventures, which works with incarcerated men and women um, to help give them a legitimate first or second chance. So these are folks who are going to be eligible for release, and it is a, I believe, a Baylor University uh, eight month accredited program, which takes these men and women through everything from life skills, things like how to balance a checkbook, how to properly apologize. They've been incarcerated and institutionalized for so long that there's so many life skills that they don't have when they come out, all the way up to how to build a business, how to execute it when you come out. And it's absolutely incredible to watch. And folks like Jerome and I volunteer our time. We come into these facilities, and this is pre-COVID, obviously, and we mentor them, and we coach them, and we add and volunteer our time. But for me, the the most incredible thing for me, and I'd love to hear your take on it, was Jerome, it took me out of my comfort zone. Right. For me, one of the scariest places I could ever imagine to be in in my life is prison. Right. As a as a middle class, somewhat half affluent, you know, Jewish kid from Long Island, putting him into a, 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 you know, a maximum security prison. You know, it was it was tough. But once you become come face to face, they're they're humans. Right. We're all humans. And we do this exercise called Walk the Line, where you see how much we have in common and how much we have apart. And it's incredibly enlightening. And at the end of that session, that day that you're spent there, you have helped change people's lives. And you make connections and you and you just see a complete other side of humanity. And, you know, I could only assume that, you know, you share a lot of these experiences. But what do you really genuinely take away from your Defy uh, volunteership? Um, I, I, I take away a lot personally. Like every time someone, someone uh, will tell me some of the uh, entrepreneurs in training, the EITs, as we call them, will tell me, oh, thank you so much for coming to see us, right? I'm like, oh, I'm here for myself, right? I like, you guys give me so much. And I've, I've never experienced um, such a, a space with so much vulnerability and so much gratitude packed into one place, right? Um, the, 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 the people that have been sent behind bars uh, and have committed crimes that have spent uh, uh, for many of them decades, uh, most of their lives uh, behind bars. They've, they've, are, gro- are, they've grown up in prison. Yeah, they have. They have, right? The juvenile lifer, 17 years old, mm-hmm. uh, ended up in the wrong place at the wrong time, made a mistake, sentenced to life. That's an actual profile. You have a lot of people like that. And they, they are indeed uh, uh, extraordinary human beings, right? Because they have a depth uh, of personal experience that that nobody else has. And so I learn a ton from them. And I'm sure... I'm able to contribute to their own journey in, in different ways, but I, I have to say they, they make me a better person. Um, they really make me a better person. I mean, you walk out of there, your heart's so full. Have you attended a graduation ceremony? Have you done that? Yes, I have done graduation ceremonies. I have done graduation, yes, at the when, show. I've done graduation, yeah. The graduation ceremony, I have a number of pictures. So at graduation time, as Adam is probably going to explain, um, when the EITs graduate, go for it. We, uh, we bring in their families. So we, we find the families wherever they are, right? And uh, we bring them into that. And for many, for many, it's the first time that those families 
So for in many cases, the families haven't seen uh, their son in a long time, but for sure, it's the first time often that they've seen their son succeed at something, right? That's and it so, right there. Oh, God. And so you have it's these men standing proudly incredible. with their- Oh God! With their graduate uh, seeing that they have achieved something, and uh, yeah, I have an image of this uh, this man, uh, a black man who must have been in his mid fifties, been incarcerated since seventeen years old, and he was uh, dancing on slow music with his mom, and the two had not seen each other for twenty seven years, right? And uh, during the graduation party, I was watching the two of them dance. And she was holding him like he was a kid uh, that just graduated from school after his life had been taken away. It's a really, really interesting time. And, and you say something, it's so, it, as much as we give to them, I mean, it gives to us. And, and like I walk out of there with such a, you know, the, the couple of times that I've done it, I've walked out of there with such, my heart was full. Just it kind of reassures my faith in humanity. Like these are people that have made one stupid mistake, maybe, maybe a few more, some of them. But the difference between me and them is they got caught. Right. Yeah. Maybe I've committed some of those crimes earlier in my life, too, and they got they got caught based on their circumstance. But to give them an opportunity, give them that legitimate second chance and to see for the first time that that moment where their family could be proud of them mm-hmm. to be pr- genuinely. I mean, it's 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 incredible. And, you know, I, I'll urge everybody I'll link up to the show afterwards for Defy Ventures. Everyone, please check that out. But let's jump into recruiting a little bit and then we'll bring it home here. Thank you for sharing your experience with me. And you know what? Next time we open back up in, in uh, post-pandemic, uh, I'm going to talk to the folks. I want to come out and do Pelican Bay with you guys. Maybe you come out to yeah, New York sure. and we could do uh, some of the East Coast um, institutions here. It's it's absolutely incredible and a fantastic organization. And it's something that I am lucky to have in my life. And I'm, and I'm grateful yeah. uh, for Defy. So quick thing I want to circle back on. Yeah, let's get back to recruiting. Prisons recruiting. I mean, it's all the same conversation here. Um, Building a case for talent acquisition transformation. What do we need to transform? What, what are we changing here, Jerome? Um, we're changing the, the vast misunderstanding that uh, recruiting is a back office function that just needs to operate faster and cheaper. I mean, this is a joke. Um, that's a transformation. That, that, that is the real transformation. The fact that I get a bunch of resume, I ignore a nine out of 10 because I don't have time to read all of them. And then I give two to a manager who doesn't care and they pick one and everybody is unhappy. Like this, this has to change, right? right. Um, and uh, uh, and the transformation of, of talent acquisition into, uh, into hiring success, into a value add function. Because actually, when you think about it, if people are the most important uh, asset we have in a company, well, everybody agrees. Who you hire defines everything, but everybody agrees. Uh, then, well, then naturally, that makes recruiting the most important function in the business. It should be. Not the least important, right? should be at the top. It's about prioritization. What do you think is the, the, the number one attribute of an amazing recruiter? Empathy. Um, I think uh, amazing recruiters um, are true talent advisors, and they have um, they have the ability to get into uh, a job, a function, a culture, a manager, a candidate, and broker a match. Um, and that empathy is is really the number one skill. Uh, and we are very often putting recruiters as like resume screeners and interview coordinators and all of this thing. This doesn't need to be. As a, at the heart, um, 
I think uh, uh, good recruiters, great recruiters have empathy and, and they look at uh, the quality of a match um, and they go back five years later and, and they meet the candidate in the, in the corridor and the guy can say, oh, thank you again. I'm there's, so happy. Right? There's nothing and better. Then you go, That's why I was here, right? It's, it's funny you say that. I, I had a post on LinkedIn the other day where I was literally just scrolling LinkedIn and I saw somebody that I placed literally in my first year of recruiting that's still at the same company five years later. They got promoted a couple of times. And I'm like, that's what it's all about, right? Helping somebody find that great opportunity. And that's why I've been working to change the vernacular from talent acquisition to talent access, right? It's access. Mm -hmm. As a recruiter, someone in the talent industry, I'm providing access on both sides and providing companies access to great candidates and candidates access to great opportunities. And once you have that mindset that you're a conduit and you're able to do that with empathy and care, you'll become an absolutely great recruiter. So first and foremost, before we get into the fun part, that wasn't the fun part of the show. We're about to get into the fun part of the show. Um, thank you for everything that you do for our industry, being a voice of more than reason, a voice of innovation and a voice of empathy and care. So thank you. Uh, for that. You ready for the fun yeah. stuff? Thank you. Yeah, always. Yeah, let's get to the fun stuff. Jerome, what does the word authentic mean to you? Um, being myself. Being the real, being the real, the, the being, guy that we see being, right here. Being there, being there in the moment, being myself. Uh, authenticity is very funny, actually. Authenticity is when you are true to your purpose. Purpose and values are the, the, the real drivers of many things performance. And I tested that live in the last four months. When the pandemic hit, most of the technology, all of the technology, recruitment technology vendors started to cut uh, in, their, in their team and organize layoffs like 10%, 20%, 40% of the team out, right? And I stood in front of my board and I said, nope, I'm not letting any Smartion go. That's no, we're going to ride this together and we're going to thrive through this. I'm, I don't want to weather the, the storm. I don't know that it's a storm, it's a pandemic. I want to thrive through the storm, right? And as a result, we came out uh, with really good business results. And what we tested there was, was the purpose and the values, like the resilience that was inside smart recruiters, inside the Smartians. I directly link back to, hey, we are here to connect people to jobs at scale. Guys, 500 million people just lost their job. Like we need to focus here. We don't have time, right? It's so go right time. They, they need us right now. It's not a time mm -hmm. to cut. I, I absolutely love it, right? And, and what, do they, what do they always say, right? Like calm waters don't make for good sailors. Mm -hmm. That doesn't and define a, a good sailor. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> you know, it's, it's, it's the rough waters that really define it. Jerome, you, you, you've been around a bit. You've been, you've been doing this for a long time. What is the single greatest piece of advice that you ever received that you take action on every single day? Be here now. What does that mean? It means um, uh, live your moment uh, fully. Um, actually, it goes back to your previous question, right? But um, if you if you live your moment truly, if you stay true to yourself, uh, then good things happen. Um, and I, I take all my leadership. Uh, and you see, when I do this, I kind of point back to my core here, right? Like the, the gesture is, is, is I take all my leadership decisions from within. Yes, there's a very rational side of it. Yes, I will analyze pros and cons, and blah, blah, blah. but you be here now in the moment when you speak to a customer, when you speak to a prospect, to a candidate, to a, a teammate, to an investor, right. to whoever, to your Uber driver. Like, do me a favor. When you walk into an Uber, check the app 
walk in and say, hi, Adam, how's your day? It's a and, human being. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Be here in the moment. I, I love it. What's the most difficult part about leading an organization? Um, it's the most enjoyable, actually, and it's the constant struggle. Um, I think um, uh, people who start companies, especially when you start it, right? When you lead an org that exists, you always have somebody above you to tell you what to do. You're leading a part of an org. When you start an org, you're like, oh, you know, there is no mommy up there to tell you what to do. There are only investors watching you, making sure oh, that you're man. not messing it, right? And playing with their money. Um, so that struggle, uh, which is an entrepreneurial struggle that every entrepreneur knows exactly what I'm talking about, whether they have two employees or 2,000, right? We all experience the same. And that struggle is both the hardest and the most enjoyable part. And I've come to to change from, from one to the other. I, I used to cope with it and like, oh, it's going to be hard, but at some point I'll succeed. And I was just grinding through it, right? And in the last decade, I found myself enjoying the struggle. Like the harder it gets, the more I'm waking up with a smile. I'm like, hmm, this is going to be good, right? Um, and uh, when you start to enjoy the struggle, then good things happen. Um, oh, and at that. least from, for me, that I enjoy the hardest part of my job. That, that is absolutely fantastic. You know, we've all been through a lot, you know, the last few months. And one of the things that I keep talking about consistently are the silver linings, right? The, the, the personal silver linings of being able to spend more time with your family. For me, the professional silver linings of being able to truly focus and, and grow my business and grow as an entrepreneur and as a business owner. So I'd love to ask you if you could kindly share with us some personal and professional silver linings that you've experienced over the last six months of the pandemic. Um, yeah, I'll share two. Uh, one is I, I had the um, amazing opportunity to spend uh, four months stuck in a two-bedroom apartment with my 17-year-old daughter. And I enjoyed every second of it. It was perfect, right? I was like, oh, when will be the... I'll never be four months in an apartment with her anymore, right? Uh, Not she'll be age. off to college and, you know, whatever. So that was like... This, this rooted me back and, and we, we did a bunch of things together from like learning to cook stuff and we started baking and uh, giving our driving lessons, whatever, right? We just spent good quality time uh, and I enjoyed, I enjoyed that. Um, on, the, on the work front, um, my silver lining has been uh, uh, on, a, on a bias for action and, and the, the responsibility. Uh, that is upon upon us at smart recruiters, upon us as recruiters in general. But as a recruitment technology vendor, I mean, uh, we have a lot of responsibility here, right? Uh, every like while we were talking for half an hour, uh, over two thousand people applied to jobs using smart recruiters, right? We get three million a month, and it's just coming in and coming in and coming in, and it's across. 4,000 enterprises in 40 languages and all of these individuals, each individual candidate is a personal story. And I always say, I say that very often in our town hall at Smart Cruise, I said, think about the candidate when they press apply and they go, okay, I hope this one works out, right? 
and and I and I hope it works out next time you press apply. And, and I think here we have a responsibility. And I'm really in a on a mission to make hiring easier, more enjoyable for individuals, more efficient for companies, uh, with a better outcome. Um, and so I've uh, uh, that has been my silver lining: connecting people to jobs at scale. I want to pause on that for a minute because you 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 just hit something inside of me there, right? Like behind every apply, right? There, there's somebody there who's out of work who is looking for a better opportunity, right? And and us as recruiters, sometimes it just becomes a number game just because the sheer volume. But it's yeah. important for us as recruiters, you know, a couple at least a couple times a day, just pause for a second and just really truly think about the the human being at the on the other side whether they're qualified for that position or not, and treat them the same way that you would want to be treated. Because listen, I guarantee most of us recruiters, 98% of us have been unemployed, have been on the other side and looking for a job. So just put yourself in, just put yourself in their shoes. And last yeah. but not least, Jerome, and I ask this question to every single guest on over 100 episodes of the podcast. You've had some rough days in your life, starting out now, pandemic, you know, at every different stage. And in those rough points, you really had to dig down deep you know, really dig down deep and harness that inner tenacity to pull you up. And on the flip side of it, you know, at those times when you're just happy that the universe has put you and your daughter together for a few months, and you're going to have this time with her that you'll never get back again as she goes on into adulthood and, and really truly becomes, you know, the woman. What is your North Star? What keeps you laser focused? What keeps you going, Jerome Turnick? Um. I like to change things. Um, I think at, at, at the heart, um, at the core, I'm a, I'm a leader. Um, I, I, early on in my life, I discovered my leadership skills. Um, I, was, I was always good at saying, hey, guys, let's do this, right? And suddenly people were doing what I suggested. And I've put my leadership skills, my abilities um, to work, to actually uh, change and, and build a better uh, I hope a better world or a better future. Um, so that keeps me going. It's like I, I look at what I can bring to other people as uh, as really my uh, my true north. Uh, and it can be uh, uh, stepping into Pelican Bay for a weekend. Uh, it can be uh, uh, launching a reverse recruiting movement. It can be employing somebody. It can be mentoring a job seeker. It can be spending time with my whatever it may be. Like, how can I actually uh, uh, help others uh, and help things move pe move things forward? Um, and in this world today, um, there's a lot we can and 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 should do uh, on on so many fronts. So, I love it, Jerome. Thank you for spending an hour with us today. I appreciate it. Yeah, likewise. Thanks for having me, Adam. It's a good conversation. Absolutely, Jerome. Where could folks find you? Where could where could they connect with you? I bet you they could go to smartrecruiters.com, But where else could they connect with you? Where I bet the book the book's on Amazon. The book is yeah, the book is on Amazon. Hiring success um, and the website actually hiringsuccess.com has the book and um, uh, free certification classes. We had over seven thousand recruiters took the certification class that we opened up during the pandemic. That's a good this good That's resource. Fantastic. You can download it there. And otherwise, connect with me on LinkedIn. Uh, Jerome Turning on LinkedIn. I accept all uh, uh, connections from recruiters, and I'm always uh, uh, happy to help if I can. Jerome, thank you, sir. I look forward to building our relationship and continuing the conversation. Absolutely. Likewise, Adam. Thanks for having me.
Likewise. And hang on with me one moment. And everybody, everyone tuning in live, everyone listening on, on the podcast, you know, thank you for spending an hour with us. I really hope that a, you enjoyed the conversation and more importantly, B, that you were able to walk away with some real actionable insights. If you work in talent acquisition to be able to change your mindset a little bit, to give you a little bit different perspective. And if you could, again, help one person, you know, it sounds cliche, but it's not. This is what we do. We change people's lives, so stick with it. And everybody else, you know, thank you for joining us on the podcast. Please be sure to follow us on all the social media channels. You know what they are. And you know our website, thepodcast.com. Remember, be kind to each other, wash your hands, stay six feet apart, and catch us next week for another great episode of the podcast. To join the conversation, search the podcast on LinkedIn. And to catch up on past episodes and more info, please visit www.thepodcast.com. <laughs>